Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. 1 Timothy 6, we're in part three of our series on um, a blessed life. That's what we're calling it because that's what we believe God wants for his people, a blessed life. See, God has a life that he has for you that's blessed, but the challenge for you and I are we set a course for our life and then we ask God to bless what we're doing instead of finding out what God's doing and getting on board of that which is already blessed, amen? So there's principles and things in the Bible that he set forth for you and I to operate in or to walk in which bring his blessings in our life. And so we've been looking at that for, this will be the third week now. When we started, which is where the appropriate place is, we started with the heart. Because understand, God's most interested in your heart. God wants your heart. And so God works, now understand this, God works from the inside out. The trouble or struggle that we have is when we try and manage things, especially the things of God from the outside in. It seems like we try and operate or work out or understand the things of God first externally, hoping that it's going to bring an internal transformation. And it never works that way because we're wrestling with circumstances, we're wrestling with our own mind, our own flesh. And so what we need to do is manage things and take God at his word, amen, trust him for who he is, his character and nature, and allow that to come from the inside out. That's what happened when you got saved. Amen. You didn't have to get all cleaned up and be all perfect for God to save you. He saved you. Then he's working on getting all cleaned up, right? He works from the inside out. And so when we talk about the area of generosity, in particular of giving, and especially this morning, the tithe, there I said it, the T word, the tithe, understand that our filter, our lens has to be from the inside out. Because when we wrestle with this from the outside, and it doesn't make sense, And then the abuse and things that we see, people in my profession have mistaught this, abused it for personal gain. I get that. When we focus on the external obligation, we miss the internal delight, and that's where it really comes from. So we're going to talk about that today. It's important because we want to give you tools, we want to equip you, and you saw a wonderful testimony to have the things to live a blessed life as God wants. And so it's our job, actually, to help equip you in that. So I've asked you guys to come every session of the series next week, and then even on the 4th of November, we'll wrap it up, or go back and watch those that you missed, or rewatch them again. And we just want you to wipe the slate clean, whatever you've heard or experienced, either side of the story, if you will, then come and then just hear what God has to say in his word, and then you make a decision for your family. But can I tell you, in the area of the tithe, that's just something that I, that's a core belief. If, you, if you're a visitor here, then you came on the right day. It's like you need to hear about the core, part of the core beliefs of who we are, and I believe in the tithe. Can I tell you, I was tithing as a kid before I really even knew what it was, because my dad said, son, you need a tithe, told me about it, and then the more I learned as I got older, then the more I appreciated and valued it, and it was even more committed to it. And so I want to just let you guys know here today that this church in August, we celebrated 37 years, but this church is here today because not only of God's faithfulness, but people faithful to God's word in their tithing and offerings. This is a result of God's people walking out his principles. And so 37 years later, here we are and seeing what God is doing. And that was what will carry us, if you will, lead us on into our future. My family and I, I just want to let you know, I'm never up here trying to tell you something I'm not doing. This word is the standard for my life. I'm trying to live up to that as well. But when it comes to the area of tithing, I mean, that for me, I've never questioned that. I try and be 
empathetic or even sympathetic because I know people come to the Lord later in life and haven't been taught some things. Now we're trying to wrestle with this, if you will. But I I didn't have that. I I knew as a kid, my dad taught me as a kid, it's all I've known. And then when I got married, my wife, she grew up in a family similar to mine. They they believed in tithing. So we had two uh, singles that were tithers and then God put us together. We just, we kept rolling right along and that's what we teach our kids. And we also teach our kids not only be tithers, but when they're looking for their future, you look for the people that are tithers. I'm telling you, I'm believing my, my daughters are going to marry men that believe in tithing because I want them to be taken care of financially because that's God's promise. And so I just want to encourage you that this is something that we believe has always believed. This is what I believe. And I want to share that with you today. I really find that the challenge that sometimes people have with the tithe, a couple of things. Number one, they really haven't investigated it for themselves. They've just drawn conclusions and formed opinions based on circumstances, what others have said. And understandably, some of the argument I I get because people in my profession and late night TV or whatever, they really have used and abused it. And I just leave that to God. Let God deal with that. But it's for me and my house. And so we're going to get our our life in line with God's word. And so part of that is in the area of tithing. So I want to present to to you some things in the word um, that I believe that will bring uh, some truth and then you make the decision. But uh, going back to 1 Timothy 6, here's what Timothy was instructing his congregation based on this letter written to him by the apostle Paul. So Paul says, Timothy, tell your congregation to those who are rich, we defined that last week in this present world, not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, because we are created to hope in something. Don't put it in wealth, which is so uncertain, but hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, before you think that God wants you to be poor so everybody else can enjoy life, that's wrong. I know people teach that. You need to live in a cardboard box and not have anything. That's, they're holy that way. But can I tell you, this says God gave me things for my enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy life, and he'll take care of you to the point that you can when you're taking care of other people. And so he's going to take care of you. So he gives you stuff for your enjoyment as well. Command them, tell them to do good. It's not just about money, but do good stuff to help people out. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing. There's our key, willing from the inside out to share. It's an internal delight. It's not I have to, it's I get to or I want to. In this way, your willingness, your generosity, you will lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. For whatever reason, there needs to be treasure laid up in heaven. That's our eternal perspective. And then not just are you setting yourself up for heaven, but while you're here on the earth, you may take a hold of life that is truly life. It is a win-win when you're generous, the Bible says. And I'm just, I don't understand sometimes when we know that God is such a generous God. Generosity marks God's life. He's marked by generosity. In fact, because of his generosity, we can have a relationship with him. For God so loved the world, he, it's by his generosity. And then we cry out for his generosity and we want his generosity. But why is it that God's people that serve a very abundantly, above and beyond, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, generous God, try and see how least generous we can be. I'll never understand that because that's not even the character and nature of God. Therefore, it should not be the character and nature of God's people. And so the Bible has some things, however, that we can do and walk out that will position us for the blessing of God so we can be a blessing. And so today when we talk about the tithe, that's really the pushback. People don't really mind generosity so much, but don't give me a principle of tithing. And I think it's, again, because we don't understand it because, yes, it has been used and abused, but the word tithe literally means a tenth, one tenth or 10%. That's where that comes from, 10%. Now, why why did God pick 10%? And and the number 10, I'll I'll explain to you just a second, is the number that is reflective of testing. The number 10 means testing in scripture. Anytime you see the number 10, it's testing. Uh, For example, when God was testing the heart of Pharaoh, how many plagues did he bring? 
10. When God was testing the heart of his people in the wilderness, how, com- how many commandments did he give? 10. How many spies came back from the promised land and gave a negative report? How many days did Daniel, come on, you see the trend here, right? How many days did Daniel, was he tested unnatural through fasting? 10. Okay. How many times were Jacob's wages changed? You may not know that, but you know where we're going with this? Okay, right? How many disciples did Jesus have? All right, yeah, okay. All right. Smart people on second service, right? Is that what it is? I don't know. You guys watched the stream. That's what happened before you came. 10, the number of testing, and on and on I could go, and I could give you examples, and you know, how many times were the children of Israel tested in the wilderness, etc. So 10 is a number of testing, so it's a test. The tithe is really a test. 10%, and what's God testing? Why is he testing? He's testing our heart. Really, honestly, it's so we can test our heart, to be honest with you, because God wants our heart. Well, look what he did in Matthew. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 21. We know Jesus said it because of the passage of Scripture and as he's explaining things. And, and then if for no other reason in your Bible, if you have a Bible, they're in red, right? The letters are in red. And so it says here, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now, I've misquoted that at times, and I've just mistakenly jumbled it up. But can I tell you, it's extremely important to say it in the right order. God wrote it in the order he meant it. He says this, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. There is, for whatever reason, he tied a cord to your your heart and treasure, tying them together. And so the Bible says where your treasure goes, your heart will go, not where your heart is. And how do we know that? Because you, like me, have so many things that you love in your heart, but you can't invest in sowing all of them. You can't do that. The flip side of that is true. If you have something that you want to get a heart for, if you'll get towards it, God will give you that heart because your heart will follow that. Uh, let me give you this example. You know, if you feel like you've lost that loving feeling in your marriage there towards your spouse, can I say this, men? Start spending money on your wife. Not only will she love that, but the Bible says where you put your treasure is, where you value her, where you surprise her with things and flowers and things. Guess what happened? The emotion will follow that. And God set it up that way very interestingly and understand that we are three-part beings, spirit, soul, and body. So when we talk about where our treasure is, our heart will follow. That scripture is in the middle of a passage where Jesus talks about storing up treasure in heaven. Store your treasure up in heaven, not here on the earth. Have an eternal mindset. Have a spiritual, eternal perspective. So where your spirit man wants to sow up treasure or store up treasure in heaven, then when you get your natural man to follow your spirit man, guess what happens? Your emotions will follow. But we try and focus on other. We try and give out of, out of emotion. Guess what? You're never going to be generous if it's based on emotion or you're going to give to the wrong things. So what we need to do is understand our spirit man is about eternal things. So our natural man, your treasure, if you'll do natural things to follow your spirit man, then your emotional you will follow. So God set it up that way. So tithe is a test. Every time that we get paid, every time we have increase, and in my house, it's every time we have increase. Whenever you have a birthday, if you get birthday money, Christmas money, it does not matter. You did a good deed. Someone blesses you with something, then that's a test. Where are we going to honor? Who are we going to honor first? Where are we going to give that to? Who are we going to acknowledge? And it goes that way. It goes to God. And God has a lot to say about that, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about a willingness in that. So let's turn to the passage of Scripture, Malachi 3. And this passage is probably the the most famous, if you will, therefore perhaps the most controversial because this is a subject not everybody agrees with. This is one of the most divisive subjects, topics in the Scripture. Churches, people, whatever, when we talk about the tithe. 
But again, I want to bring you the truth, and I want you to then make your decision based on what we say today. Now, while you're turning there, going back to the test, I want to share with you, it tests our heart. God's interested in your heart. We'll explain that in Malachi. But it was a few years ago that I was um, up in Plano. My wife and I went to Plano. I was just there this Thursday, Friday uh, at a conference, and uh, we had a breakfast with uh, uh, Gerald Brooks, who's one of my spiritual, spiritual dads, if you will, a mentor. He took the time very generously to sit down with us. He pastors a church about 6,000. He has a, has a leadership conference, some of the best stuff I ever hear on local church leadership. And we sat down with him. He and my dad were best friends. Now, my dad, for those who didn't, do not know, founded this church, um, what, 37 years ago, I already said that. He passed away after 15 years of this, this church of a massive heart attack when he was 49 years old. It's way too young. And so I'm now 50, and so can I tell you, I was a little nervous getting to that 49 mark. I knew that my dad, whatever the issue was, had a heart attack. And so a few years before that, I'm sitting down with Pastor Gerald, and he always loved to talk about my dad, which I love that. And he looked at me, and he said, Don, how's your heart? And I said, well, as far as I know, it's good. I think it's good. And he says, have you ever had it checked or tested? And I said, well, no, I've never really gone and, you know, some other blood pressure, whatever. I've never really gone and had it tested. And he says, well, you you need to test it. And I said, tell me about it. I'm a pastor. I got to go get the physical. Checked all the time, right? I mean, I need to get my heart checked. Keep my heart right. My staff, if you just know, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so it's funnier first service. I I don't know what happened between services, but anyway, so so I I, I went there and he said, I want to get you, you want you to get your heart tested. And I said, well, yeah, that's a lot of money. And I, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he said, see that building, the restaurant we were in behind was um, a Baylor medical cardiac heart center there in Plano. He says, see that building right there? He goes on the seventh floor, whatever, is this doctor? He's on my board. He's a friend, friend of mine. I said, that's great. And I'm still thinking, but yeah, I still can't, you know I mean? He's on the, he gets, hold on a second, gets on the phone, says, yeah, okay, uh-huh, yeah, I'll send him right up. He looks at me, he goes, he's waiting for you. Go up there. And I'm like, well, that's great, but I mean, it's hell. And he goes, oh, no, don't worry about it. We got it. I'm, I'm going to take care of it. I told him we're going to take care of it. No worries. You just go get everything checked out. So we went right then, went up to his office. They took my blood. I came back two weeks later for the whole stress test, right? If you've ever done that, that's a big deal. You got a lot of stuff. You're on the treadmill. You're doing all kinds of things. And, and then a few weeks later, we get the results and everything came back good. I, got, I had a good check out of my heart, so I'm thankful. And I was so thankful. Can I tell you, I was so thankful. And I'm thinking, I need to do that more often. And can I tell you, we need times and moments that we get our heart checked. Because we tend to think everything's good or everything's okay or I got it, but we don't really know. And how many times have we thought something was going well and all of a sudden the wheels fall off and we had no idea. God makes sure that we have an opportunity every time we have increase to make sure our heart's in the right place, that he has our heart. Because he's not about your money, trying to get your money. He's trying to get your heart. And he attached the two things together. So every time we have an opportunity for increase, we have an opportunity to just see where we're at. Where are we with God? And so um, let's take a look at this Malachi 3, 6 through 12. Here's what it says in verse 6, for I am the Lord. Now this is amazing to me because here God's going to lay out a discussion on the tithe, the most difficult, perhaps controversial, divisive topics in the church before God says anything else about the tithe before he gets into the principle here. The first thing he says is, For I'm the Lord, I do not change. I mean, think about that for a second, because there's going to be a lot of arguments over the years on this. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to tell you stuff. Governments are going to change. Economies are going to change. Your job's going to change. Your your financial status is going to change. But listen, I do not change. People are going to interpret things differently. They're going to tell you that's not for today. There's a different generation now. There's a different culture now. People are going to tell you all those things. But I do not change. That's why going back to 1 Timothy, Paul says, hey, don't put your, tell them not to put their hope in wealth because it's so uncertain. Wealth changes, but God changes not. Aren't you glad we're a part of God's economy, not man's economy? 
Why? Because he is the Lord, he does not change. Therefore, and this is so funny, I hope that you find humor in the Bible like I do. Therefore, you are not consumed. He's saying, be glad I don't change because if I change the way you guys are acting, I'd kill all of you off. (laughs) This is what he's saying right there. You should be glad I don't change because you guys would be dead right now because the way you're acting right now. I love that. God says, because I do not change, you're still alive. All right, there we go. Verse seven. Yet from the days of your fathers, you've, you've gone away from me. You started walking differently. You've gone away from my, capital M, God's ordinances. Hold on to that word. We'll come back to it. And have not kept them. You stopped doing the things that you were supposed to be doing. Return to me. Do them again. And I'll return to you. I'll be blessing your life again, says the Lord of hosts. In case you forgot, because God knows that when we start talking about money, we, real wrestle, we wrestle with that. And we think man wrote these passages. We think man created this because for man's gain. And he abuses it. But it was never God's intent. So God continually reminds us, this is what God's saying. The one who does not change says the Lord of hosts, but you said, and once so I shall return. How do we ever walk away from you, God? God just immediately says this, will a man rob God? That's kind of a hard word, rob, come on, God. Yet you have robbed me, capital M, me, God. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? Yeah, have we robbed you, God? What are you talking about? Man, I love you. Here's his response, God's response, not man's response, in tithes and offerings. And then he goes on to say, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now understand something in verse nine. This is one of the most controversial things because I have people really get on. God's not gonna curse me. God doesn't curse me. And can I say, you're right, he doesn't. In fact, I had this discussion with an individual and I've, I've, I've looked at this topic in all the years of ministry in so many ways. I've heard about every argument and he looked at me and he said, don't you tell me that I'm gonna rob God and don't you tell me that God's gonna curse me. And he was all red faced. I thought he was gonna hit me. And I said, whoa, time out, buddy. I said, I'm not gonna tell you that because it's not in the Bible. God doesn't curse you. In fact, right here, it doesn't say God's cursed you. It says you'll be cursed with a curse. Now, understand what God's meaning here. God doesn't have to curse you. This world is cursed. We live in a broken, fallen, evil, messed up world. When Adam gave away dominion in the garden, the Bible says when he sinned, death came in with sin. Uh, plague, famine, brokenness, uh, everything came into the earth. Everything came into the world then, and the world was cursed. So what God is saying is when you walk in my principles and my ordinances, then I bless you. I return to you. You're in my blessings. When you choose not to, I don't have to curse you. You walk out from under my blessing. And so there is no neutrality here. If you're not under the blessing of God, you're under the curse of this world. He says, it's your choice. I don't want anybody to be cursed. I don't want anybody to operate now. That's why I provided a way for you not to. So you choose, are you going to walk under the covering and blessing of God? Or are you going to walk under the covering of the curse of the world? It's your choice. And I believe when God says that you robbed me, I believe a couple things. We'll get to it in just a second, but I believe this. I believe God says this. We'll see that, that we robbed the opportunity for supply to go into his storehouse to do what God wants to do on the earth. And we robbed God of the opportunity to bless people. I, that's what I believe. So it goes on to say this after verse nine. It goes on to say number 10. Now, so, so what do we do? He says this. So you bring all the tithe, that 10%, that 10 Tenth, into the storehouse. When you see the word storehouse, or you see the house of the Lord, or you see my house or the Lord's house, all those speak to the same thing, and that is the storehouse. That is the local church. So bring all the tithe to the local church. Now, let me say this here, and you think I'm going to say it because I'm a pastor, but I'm just trying to teach you the truth of God's word. The storehouse is not all the people that you listen to and all these other ministries that you're giving to here and there. You don't take your 10% and you divide it up. You bring your 10% to the storehouse, God says. 
And then, because of the blessing that comes from bringing it to the storehouse above that, then you have an abundance to bless all these other places. So I know some people, I talk to some people, I say, well, I tied to here, and I tied to Copeland, and I tied to all this, and I tied to the church. And I'm saying, hmm, well, the Bible says, which one of those is your storehouse? Which is the place that you get fed? Which is the place that you're a part of? And then when you do that, I believe God will give you a blessing that you can bless all these other places. My interpretation. That there may be food in my house. That there, that, but that, that the church, my church can do what I've called it to do. My church can reach people. My church can have the lights on, if you will. My church can have activities for the community to come. My church can be a blessing to flood victims. My church can do all this. Why? So don't rob me the ability to do this and reach people because you are reached because of the provision in a storehouse, his storehouse. And so that's what he's saying. He says, don't rob the opportunity for the storehouse to do what it gets to do. And then I believe he doesn't want to be robbed of the opportunity to bless his people. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, the only place the Bible says to try me. Another translation says to test me. Now understand something. The tithe is very interesting because it's the only place not only where your heart is tested, but God's heart is tested as well. Test me try me. It's the only place, the tithe is the only thing that tests your faithfulness and God's faithfulness. I mean, are you reading the same scripture? I mean, because it's right there, try me or test me. So every time, not only are you presented with a test of who you're going to honor, where you're going to give it to, but also God is tested in his faithfulness. And can I tell you, God always passed the test. Always. Because he said, return to me and I will return to you. I'll take care of you. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not, here's how he responds, verse, uh, the next part of that. If I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there'll be not room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. God will rebuke the devourer, that one who steals, kills, and destroys from you so that he'll not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. A promise of God, see if I will not open the window of heaven. I love that. I love that picture here, and the analogy would be the window here, and I brought that. It seems kind of simplistic, but yeah, I don't want you to miss the power of it. I think men makes it complicated, but God made it really simple, to be honest with you. But understand what God says. He says, when you bring the tithe, or you bring that 10% into the storehouse, God says that I'll open the window of heaven. Now, it's very interesting to me because we seem to do so many things in life trying to get God to move on our behalf. And I really need some help in my finances. I just, I gotta spend more time in prayer. That's great. You need to. I need to get some people to agree with me about my finances. The enemy's really after them. I need to get some people we can just rebuke. Not today, devil, right? We're gonna stand there and do all that. I need to get some people. I'm gonna go put a sticky note on the cross. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna put a prayer uh, on the email. I'm gonna email a prayer request. I'll go out to the prayer chain so staff will pray on Tuesday, everything like that. I'm gonna get my community group and we're gonna pray and believe for my finances. Can I tell you, God says, if you'll bring the tithe into the storehouse, he will open the window of heaven. I don't know what you gotta pray about, to be honest with you. He says, you do this, I'll return to you. It says, he will open the window of heaven. And in a sense, the power of that is, so let's say it this way, you can open the window of heaven. The flip side of that's true then too. You can also close the window of heaven. Not a lot of amens on that one. But the truth is, can I tell you this? No, it's the devil. The devil's keeping my window closed. No, not today, Don. No, you the devil's keeping my window closed. No, he's not. He can't. Because the Bible says God's going to open it, and nothing can keep God from opening the window of heaven but you. No, 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 no. My boss, 
My boss is doing it. He doesn't value me. He's not paying me enough. Everybody else is getting raises. Everybody else is getting promotions but me. Uh, the people are stealing sales from me. Uh, all this kind of stuff. They're cheating me out of deals and stuff. They're ripping me off. Can I tell you? They don't keep this window closed, you do. Because the Bible says when you bring the tithe in a storehouse, God opens a window of heaven. The hand of God cannot be stopped by the hand of man except yours. Well, if I just would have had more money, if I was born on the right side of the tracks, if my parents were this and that, if I wouldn't have been from a separated, dysfunctional family, anything like that, I'm not a single mom. Can I tell you, I'm not belittling any of that. I want to be sensitive to all that. But you control what you do with the tithe. Therefore, God will do what he promises to do. If you will pass the test, God always passes his test. And there's no devil in hell that can keep that window closed if you bring your tithe. It's just truth. It's truth, and I know, and I know, I know, I know there's arguments here. I mean, I've heard them all. I, I know. Okay, but the tithe thing, that's Old Testament. I wish that God would have put it 15, if he would have waited 15 more verses to put it in, there would have been in the New Testament. But God put it exactly where he wanted it. The test is a test. But understand this, even when you look at the scripture in the Old Testament, you see tithing as a principle in the New Testament as well. Again, I think we're trying to figure out ways to be less generous, but God says, for I'm the Lord and I do not change. So the Old Testament says this, and that what people will say, well, that's under the law. Can I say this? And if you study the scripture out, and I have a passage of scripture on your live notes, for time's sake, it won't go there, but in your live notes, you'll see all that. That says there's a passage of scripture when Abraham just won a battle and took all the spoils, and he tied to Melchizedek, the high priest, the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Melchizedek was a type and shadow of Jesus. We'll see that in a minute. That was 500 years before the law was ever written. Then there's another passage of scripture that was 400 years, and there's another one that was 300 years before the law was ever written. But okay, if you you want to put it under the principles and under the law. I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. Understand that Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law, which means I know we no longer operate out of an external set of rules or obligations, but we operate out of an internal delight because Jesus now is inside of us. But understand in the old Testament, the relationship God's people had with God was external because Jesus hadn't died, so Jesus didn't live inside. God didn't live inside of each individual. He spoke to them through kings and through prophets, and he showed his power through outside miracles, signs, and wonders. But in the New Testament, where Jesus came and died and rose again, and when you give your heart to him, the Bible says he came to live inside each and every one of us. We no longer have to have an external relationship. We have an internal delight of having a relationship with Jesus through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, now signs, wonders, and miracles don't happen all around us. They happen in us and through us. Amen? So when the Bible says in the Old Testament law, if you will, it says thou shalt not kill, does that mean that that's, you don't have to live by that anymore and now in the New Testament it's okay? No. There's still consequences to that. When the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery in the Old Testament because we think that we've been delivered from that, does that mean it's okay in the New Testament? No. There's consequences to that. Well, I'm under grace now. I'm not under the law. Hey, I get that. But understand what grace really is. It gives you from operating out of an external obligation to an internal delight. Grace in me says now I have a power and a divine ability greater than my own that not only do I not kill, but I don't even hate my brother, which is as bad as murder, the Bible says in the New Testament. So the New Testament then takes it to another level. Instead of not just killing people, you can't hate them. But now with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I have the ability because of Jesus in me and the grace to love people. 
And where the Bible says don't commit adultery now in the New Testament, where I don't just, I'm not just faithful to my wife because I don't want to violate a set of external rules. I'm faithful to my wife because God gives me a supernatural ability to love my wife beyond everything that we ever experienced in life. I'm faithful because of love, not because of rules. So the New Testament grace takes the Old Testament because it's fulfilled it then from an external obligation of do's and don'ts to a delight to go beyond. That's why Jesus says in the New Testament, if a Roman soldier tells you to carry a pack a mile, carry it two miles. If someone comes and they're cold and they ask for your, for your coat, give them your coat, give them your shirt, give them your shoes, give them your socks, give them your pants, but keep your drawers on. Okay? That's my interpretation, but still the same, right? Go above. Grace Grace says you go above. Why are we trying to find ways with a generous God that marks his character and nature to be un- disingenuous people? I don't know what the right word is, not generous people. Grace says I'm going to go above and beyond the expectation. But I understand. I understand there's been abuse and there's been things, and I can't change any of that. All I can present the word and the truth of God's word. But yeah, but it doesn't say this really in the New Testament. Well, let me talk about that, and I, I'm going to cover this, and then we've got to wrap this up. In the New Testament, let me, let me give you uh, uh, a couple of scriptures. Matthew 23, 23. Let's take a look at that real quick. Matthew 23, 23. This is Jesus talking in Matthew. Oh, you know what? Thank you. Let's hold on. I'm going to go back to that in a second. But Matt, let me get this first. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He's talking to the religious crowd. Jesus talking to the religious, the churchgoers. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Those are just really small spices that they would put on their food. Just, so basically saying you tithe of the smallest of things and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done. What these have you ought done? You should pay tithe. He's saying you ought to be paying tithe. That's good, but you can't neglect justice, mercy, and faith. And it goes on to say this, these you ought to have done, the tithe, without leaving the others undone. Or maybe you would flip that and say, no, it doesn't say it that way. It's referring to the thing. Okay, so let's flip it. These you ought to have done, justice, mercy, and faith, without leaving the others, the tithe, undone. Jesus is saying, you still need to tithe, but understand now in this New Testament, we're operating in justice, mercy, and faith. We're just adding to, we're not taking away from. Let me give you another one. Um, Hebrews, let's go to Hebrews. I mentioned Melchizedek, New Testament tithing. Hebrews 7, 1 through 8, I talked about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type and shadow of Jesus. When Abraham gave his tithe, he was giving it unto the Lord. Let me show it to you right here. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the the victory, the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, a tithe, a tenth. First being translated, Melchizedek was king of righteousness. Who does that sound like? Jesus. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Who does that sound like? Jesus. He's the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning nor days nor end of life because he always has been there. Jesus has always been there with God, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. Jesus is our high priest that sits at the right hand of the father, ever making intercession for us. Now consider how great this man was, Melchizedek, type of shadow of Jesus, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the tithe to Melchizedek, or therefore to Jesus. Goes on to say this, and indeed those who are the sons of Levi, the priests who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes, the people bring the tithes, then they're the ones taking it up, from the people according to the law, the ordinance of God, that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham, natural men, but, who, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them, 
Now back to Melchizedek, then received the tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Verse seven, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better, the better being Melchizedek, Jesus. Here, here, mortal men receive tithes. Here, buckets are passed. People go online, click, there's boxes out there. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there, he, he being Melchizedek, he being Jesus receives them, of whom is witness that he lives. Listen, he's saying, we may put ties in a bucket. We may put it in a, in a box back there. We may click on it online, but we're not doing a business transaction with the church. Even though men may be receiving that, we're giving our ties to Jesus. It's as if Jesus himself is taking that tithe from us and we're giving it to Jesus. I don't know about you, but man, that excites me. When I go online and I click or I put it in a box, I'm not giving it to Tree of Life Church. I'm not giving it to man. I'm giving it to Jesus. I love you. I honor you. I serve you. I trust you. I worship you. I'm giving it to Jesus. That's the heart, the heart behind it. And I'm passionate about this because I think so many of us are deceived. And I know you may sit there and think, well, you're the pastor. Can I tell you, we're not building, we're not here to try and build a castle. We're building the kingdom. We're not here for personal gain. We're here to help to reach as many people as we can to be a tree life to a lost and hurting world. And this is God's plan. So there may be provision in his house. Can we go back now as we wrap this up to Malachi 3, 7? I want you to see this. This is important. I want you to understand something. Malachi Three, seven. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my, capital M, my ordinances. God's ordinances. God's ordinances. Another translation will say decrees. Ordinances is a great word. I love the word ordinances because it puts it in terms and language that we can understand. Let me give you the definition of what an ordinance is. Here's what it says about an ordinance. It is expected, a principle of ordinary behavior. An ordinance is a principle of ordinary behavior. So God says... I have principles of ordinary behavior for you. God says, you've gone away from my ordinary behavior, my expected ordinary behavior. Tithing was an ordinary behavior for God's people. I mean, how have we gotten away from that? Tithing is an ordinary behavior. We understand ordinances here, especially in New Braunfels, right? Can I tell There's all kinds of ordinances that we have to live by. It's expected ordinary behavior to live that way. Can I tell you, God has ordinances or expected ordinary behavior for us to live that way. So God's saying, listen, just live by these expected ordinary behaviors. Remember this. I'm the Lord. I do not change. I have expected ordinary behaviors established by God. In other words, it's ordinary for God's people to tithe. It's ordinary for God's people to thank him for their harvest. It's ordinary for God's people to thank him for their income or their increase. It's ordinary for God's people to thank him for their abilities and ideas. It is ordinary for God's people to honor him even in difficult times because he's the one that can turn it around. It's ordinary for God's people to acknowledge him as source and provider. It's ordinary for God's people to return back unto him that portion that he said set aside and return. It's ordinary. It's not crazy people or greedy people or whatever, fanatical people. It's ordinary, expected ordinary behavior for God's people. I don't know how we got off on all that. How did it all change? Where did it all change? Because man got in the middle of it. Right? But you can see here, this is what God's saying. Here's what I'm going to close with in that. Therefore, my ordinary behavior keeps this window open. Not my desperate plea or cry. Not my traumatic or tragic circumstance. Not not my great need. Not 
not me crying out for a miracle, not me, and I'm thankful that God has grace and mercy now, but my ordinary, expected, ordinary behavior in line with God's word keeps God's window open in my life. There is an open heaven that you and I can live under with ordinary behavior. God's expected ordinary behavior. He is a good and faithful God. He is who he says he is, and he does the things he says he will do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My heart, my hope this morning, in the midst of my passion or excitement or whatever, that you would hear really the heart of what God wants you to hear, his word. God is a good and faithful God. My hope today is that we're able to push through all the perhaps things that we've learned that have not been correct or experiences or ideas or frustrations or hurts or disappointments in life and just to hear God's voice speaking to us through his word. That today, no matter where we've been, we can simply respond by opening that window of heaven through our act of obedience, worship and faith to God. Lord, despite this vessel today, my heart, my prayer is that your voice was heard, your spirit has spoken to each individual. Father, I thank you for being a good and faithful God that even, Lord, perhaps we've lived a time where we've not walked out your principles. Father God, we can just immediately change our way. I thank you, Father God, that you are faithful. And with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, it all begins with a relationship with Jesus. In fact, that's the point of all this, is that we can create environments so you can come to find him. Everything changes after that. Old things are passed away. All things become new. But everything we do, everything we give, everything we are is so people can come to the knowledge of Christ. And if you're here today and you cannot remember a moment in time that you purposely, intentionally invited him in, then today is your day. Today is your day. Don't wait any longer. Don't go any longer. In just a moment, we're going to pray a prayer of commitment. Not going to have anybody stand. Not going to have anybody come up front. In fact, we'll all pray together. And if that's you and you would say, Pastor, could you include me in that prayer? I need to extend an invitation or I want to make sure. Could you include me in that prayer? Would you simply just quickly put your hand up? Just slip your hand up. Let me see that this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I prayed that prayer, but it seems like he's a million miles away. Well, let me encourage you. He will never leave you or forsake you. But sometimes we need to make an adjustment, course adjustment, get back on track. We might say rededicate, recommit, if that's you this morning. And you know you need to get back on track with the things of God. And you would say, could you include me in that prayer as well? Let me see your hand also. Thank you, thank you. More importantly, God sees your heart. All right, you put your hands down. Look up for just a moment. As I said, we're gonna pray a prayer of commitment. The power in this prayer, because I'm just, I'm asking you to repeat it after me, but the power in it is attaching your heart to it. Because then God sees your heart. And as we already said, he works from the inside out. He sees your heart and comes to do what only he can do change and transform you from the inside out. So I'm going to ask everyone who raised their hand. I'm going to ask everyone who didn't raise their hand. I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer with us, whether you raise your hand or not. Let's pray from the bottom of our heart. Let's let God do what only he can. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is your son, sent to the earth to die on a cross and pay for my sin and then go to a grave and rise again in victory. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you for paying for my sin, and thank you for rising again so I can be free. So Jesus, I invite you now. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Savior and Lord, now and forever. I receive you now in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. God's a good and faithful God. Amen. He's got a great plan for your life. Great plan. You can trust him. You can trust him. For those who prayed that for the first time or to kind of get back on track with the things of God, then congratulations. We want to let you know that's the beginning. A new start. God has so many things for you. There's a yellow card on the seat back in front of you. If you just take a moment, fill that out, place it in the offering when it comes by. We just want to let you know what's the next step. God's got some amazing things for you. And as we always do at the end of our services, when we take up our tithes and offerings, it's not just at the end of this service, but at the end of our services. If you're a guest, thank you for coming. Please don't feel any obligation, but church family, this is what we do. This is our ordinary behavior as Christ followers. And I just want to encourage you in this. I've already said so much about it, but there's a couple ways that you can give. There's envelopes on the seat back in front of you. You can see on the screen. You can give through the app. My wife and I do that. You can give online. I want to encourage you above your tithe. Also, you can think about giving perhaps to um, the flood relief for Elevate Church. You can find that on the drop-down menu through Outreach, et cetera. Or go out there. They're going to have tacos still for you until supplies last. Buy them all out before you go home. But this is one thing I, I, I forgot to say. I, I want to say this because I know that there's places and times that we find we feel like we're stuck. My wife and I, we bought a, a house just a few months ago. It was built in 1984. We had an inspector come, as you do before you get the loan, go to the bank, check everything out. And they came back and they said, we have these windows there. We love the windows. They have these windows upstairs. And he said, these windows upstairs. And we're like, what's wrong? <laughs> How much are going to cost? And he said, nothing. They're great. He said, we had a hard time getting them open because they were stuck. And I'm like, well, is there a problem? He goes, no, I just don't. They just hadn't been open in a long time. I want to encourage you today. If you feel like you've just been stuck, your window in heaven has been stuck. It's not broken. God didn't run out of supply and nothing's too difficult for God. It just might be that you haven't opened it in a while. I just want to encourage you at any point in time, you can start. Start that expected ordinary behavior that God has laid out there for you. And the Bible says that God will open that window. It doesn't matter how long it's been stuck. God will open that window. He is faithful. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.